I'm the Failing Youth Pastor, and welcome to Monday Motivation. It's, it's interesting. I can, uh, I can stand in front of a bunch of teenagers and be totally fine, you know? But when you get in front of adults, it's like, makes me want to throw up a little bit. Um, <laughs> no, it's, it's really a, a blessing and an honor to be here this morning. Um, it's one of the, the greatest joys and one of the greatest responsibilities to bring the word of God to the people of God. Uh, and I take that incredibly seriously. I know Kevin does as as well. And God has really been working on me through Kevin's sermon series and um, just working on me in, in the way of how I view the, the church. And the, the church uh, really represents and ought to represent the very heart of God because God's heart is for his people. God's heart is for his church. Um, and we see all throughout scripture some beautiful metaphors, some beautiful language on how God describes the church. He calls the church the bride of Christ. He calls the church the body of Christ. These, uh, these beautiful metaphors give us just a little glimpse in how God views his church. And I think the church is at the very center of, of God's heart. And so that is what we've been exploring and, and looking at in this series is how does God view the church and how should we view the church and what should we do about it? That's pretty much, uh, that's pretty much what this sermon series has been all, uh, all, all about. And Kevin has been going through some of the attributes of God and how those attributes actually interact and, and should change the way we, we view this community of faith. And so this morning, we're going to be talking about the immutability of God. Now, if you don't know what immutability means, that's okay, because I can hardly pronounce it. Immutability, uh, according to Westminster Shorter Catechism, says this. God is a spirit whose being, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth are infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. Now, infinite, eternal and unchangeable qualify all the other attributes of God. So the attribute of God, uh, of his holiness, does not change. His justice does not change. His goodness does not change. In other words, God's nature, character, and attributes do not change. He was God yesterday. He's God today. He will be God forever. That is his nature, that is his character, that is who he is. He will remain the same. And so this morning, as we turn to Malachi chapter 2, 17 through 3, 12, um, let's go to the Lord in a word of prayer. God, I, I thank you for your word. I pray that this morning you give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you have for us this morning. And I pray that you soften our hearts so that your word may take root in our lives. In the name of Jesus, amen. 
So Malachi, starting in the second chapter, verse 17. You have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver, and he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Then the offering of Judah and Jerusalem will be pleasing to the Lord, as in the days of old and as in former years. Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the adulterers, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker and his wage, in his wages, the widow and the fatherless, against those who thrust aside the sojourner. And do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, O children of Jacob, you are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you in your tithes and contributions? You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, and there may be food in my house. And thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil. And your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. So some of you probably recognize this passage. It usually comes up during stewardship season. Um, and uh, don't worry, I'm not going to chastise you for not bringing your tithes and offerings. Um, we're not going to be doing that this morning, but rather I want to challenge you with the, with the entire theme of Malachi and by focusing in, lasering in on one simple phrase found in verse six, for I, the Lord, do not change. That right there is going to be vitally important into how we understand God. I, the Lord, do not change. So before we, we dive in and explore this text a little bit more, I want to give you some background information, lay a foundation uh, so that we have something to, to work off of. Not long before Malachi, Zechariah um, was preaching righteousness and his preaching, um, his prophetic voice uh, was one of the, the reasons and, and one of the um, the, the 
the driving forces for the completion of the temple. They complete the temple, the Jews complete the temple, and by the time Malachi comes around, repentance had uh, been uncommon among the people of God. Not only that, Malachi points out that the Jews forsook respect for the priesthood because it had become corrupted. Worship had become routine and cold. Divorce was, was rampant. Justice and, and tithing were thrown to the wayside. And that is kind of the, the reason why we have the book of Malachi and for his prophetic voice to the people of God who have turned their backs on justice, they've turned their backs on God, and God is calling them back, calling them back to himself. And there's gonna be two attributes of God, two immutable attributes of God that I wanna focus in on this morning. The first is gonna be God's justice. God's immutable, unchanging justice. And the second is going to be his mercy, his immutable mercy. Those two things do go hand in hand. Malachi chapter 2, verse 17, the first verse we read this morning, says this, you have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? By saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? Now, the irony here is so thick you could build an anvil. You could make an anvil out of it. Because the, the Jews are in utter disobedience to the commands of God, and they want to tell God, where's the God of justice? Right? They're in disobedience. It would be like my son. You know, my son really likes to disobey me. It's pretty cool. Um, uh, you know, if you tell him to stop because he's going to run into a street, right, and he, and, he, and he doesn't stop, he deserves a punishment for that, mainly because cars could kill him. And, uh, you know, the punishment I give him will come close. And um, <laughs> that's a joke. Don't call CPS. Um, and, right, so he deserves a punishment for that. But he should not turn back to me and be like, oh, yeah, well, where's the dad of justice? You know, you didn't give me a, a, you didn't give me a bad enough spanking there, or you didn't give me a bad enough consequence. You know, the irony here is really amazing, because they're looking around, and they're saying, look at all these evil people, and God isn't doing anything about it. But they refuse to look in the mirror, Right? But this does show us a little bit of humanity. It shows us and it tells us a little bit of, of what, we're, what we're made of. And our bent typically is towards justice. We want to see justice done. We want to see injustice corrected and we want to see justice done. I wanna give you a, a few examples. Um, some of you probably, most of you probably know this, that judges can actually give sentences of over one life. Um, there's an, an example of this. A Boston gangster, oh man, look at that guy. Uh, a Boston gangster uh, 
His name is James Whitey Bolger, and he was sentenced to two life sentences plus five years. Got to get the five years on there, just, you know. Uh, that was probably for stealing a candy bar or something, I don't know. Um, I mean, pretty bad dude, you know, getting, getting two life sentences in, in five years. Now, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to know he's only going to serve one life sentence. So he's missing out on one life sentence plus five years. But this tells us a little bit, of, a little bit about us as humans that we want justice even if we cannot execute it. Even if, even if someone has done something that is so atrocious, we want to give them one life term plus five years that they will never even serve. But the flip side is also true. When we see injustice, it's something that we just on the inside want to fix. This man is a Norwegian. His name is Anders Bering Breivik, and I pronounce that like an American, so that's probably not the way he does. This man killed 77 people. And all throughout his trial, he was giving Nazi salutes and uh, showing absolutely no remorse for the crimes that he committed. His sentence was 21 years in prison. 21 years for 77 souls that he took. Now, when this story came out, the whole world was outraged at this. Uh, people were couldn't believe. You almost can't believe. You can't wrap your mind around something like that because you, you see it for what it is, just utter injustice. Justice is not being done here. Now, thankfully, in Norway, they're re-looking at their justice system, uh, and they're going to be able to, to keep him in there for uh, a much longer period of time, uh, thank the Lord. But, but, we still have this outcry of when justice isn't done, there's something that we want to do about it, right? There's something that we want to do. And our community ought to exemplify, show what justice is. We ought to be a community that does fight for justice because one of the failings of the Jews is that they turn their back on justice, that's one of the reasons why God is so upset with them, because they decided to turn their back on justice. In Malachi verse 5 of chapter 3, it says this, Then I will draw near to you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against the sorcerers, against the idolaters, against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker in his wages the widow and the fatherless against those who thrust aside the sojourner and do not fear me, says the Lord of hosts. The Jews were not caring for the poor, the widow, the fatherless among them. Oh, bless your heart. 
Gotta love babies, unless they keep you up at night. If someone wants one, find me after. They were not caring for the people who couldn't care for themselves or supporting the people that couldn't support themselves. They turned their back on the most vulnerable in their society. And we shouldn't. As a community of faith, we should fight for those who can't fight for themselves. We should care for those who cannot care for themselves. And I think overall, as a a community, we are doing that. As a community of faith, we have some amazing ministries that that we do. And we should continue pressing forward for justice. And justice, as I mentioned, isn't only an attribute of God. It ought to be an attribute of the way we live our lives as individual followers of Jesus Christ, but also as a community. But hand in hand with justice ought to come mercy. Hand in hand with justice ought to come mercy mercy. Malachi 3.6, a a verse right after this. God's talking about his judgment, and he's going to come and exact justice. And right after this, for I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, because I do not change, you children of Jacob are not consumed. God shows his faithfulness in the midst of the Jews' faithlessness. In the Jews' disobedience to his commands, he offers them mercy. He grants to them mercy. And that should be an attribute of our community, merciful and faithful. In Luke chapter 6, verses 35 and 36, Jesus says this, but love your enemies and do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Why ought we be merciful? Because God shows us mercy. We ought to show mercy because he showed us mercy in our disobedience, in our faithlessness. He was faithful to us and he was merciful to us. And when we offer mercy to other people, we show the very heart of God. When you care for someone who cannot care for themselves, you show the heart of God. When you do good to a neighbor, you show the heart of God. When you lend without expecting anything in return, you show the heart of God. When you love the person who hates you the most, you show the heart of God. We ought to be a community that shows the heart of God. And we ought to be individuals who live this truth out in our families, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, We ought to show the heart of God. Now, some of you may be asking a serious question like this kid. But Travis, you have justice and you have mercy. Aren't these two things incompatible? I'm glad that you asked. 
Okay, you didn't ask, all right? And some of you probably didn't even, you know, you might not even be awake enough to even, you know, ask the question. Uh, that's the only reason I am is because I did the 8 o'clock service. So <laughs> otherwise I'd probably have my eyes closed speaking right now. And I want to answer this question through Malachi. In Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, God says this, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Behold, I will send my messenger. Every commentary I read on this verse upheld or supported uh, what I already, you know, the conclusion that I had come to, which was that he's speaking of John the Baptist. John the Baptist is going to be coming. He's the forerunner. He's going to prepare the way. Prepare the way for who? Me. Not me, but you know what I'm saying. God speaking, saying, he will prepare the way before me. Kind of interesting language. Good choice there. Considering Jesus was the God-man. The God-man was coming. And all of human history looks upon one event in time. One single moment in human history, everyone before it looked to it, and everyone after it looks back upon it. Because at one point in human history, God's justice and his mercy collided. And we see it at the cross of Christ. At the cross, we see the amazing love and mercy and grace of God. We see the amazing love that God has for his people by giving his son to take our punishment. But at the foot of the cross, we also see justice. We see God's wrath against sin, his hatred of sin, his righteous justice exacted, placed on his son, Jesus Christ. And those two immutable attributes of God meet because God loves his people. Because God loves his church. That's why those two immutable attributes of God came together. And that should have a profound effect on how we view the church. We come to worship because God is worthy of our praise. We come to worship because our God is just. And we come to worship because our God is merciful. And we worship because it is a natural response to a supernatural love shown to us, put on full display for us at the cross of Christ. R.C. Sproul in his book, The Truth of the Cross, hopefully that's, I guess you can read that, all right. He says this, God says justice will be done. The debt will be paid in full. The crime 
will be punished. He does not negotiate his justice at all. The fact that my debt is paid, the demands of reconciliation are met, and the punishment for my crime is given to my substitute shows that in the cross we see perfect justice and perfect mercy. In the substitution that took place at the cross, we see the glorious grace of God, the very heartbeat of the Christian faith. The grace of God is not only the heartbeat of of the Christian faith for the individual, it ought to be the heartbeat of this community of faith. Every single guitar strum, every organ note, every verse, every chorus testifies to the very heartbeat of the Christian faith. We worship because at a point in history, God's justice and mercy met at the cross of Christ. And the Father in his loving kindness looked down upon sinners and says, you deserve to be punished, but I'm gonna pour that punishment out on my son, on your behalf, so that you can be adopted into the family of God. That's why we sing. That's why we pray. That's why we we come on the Lord's Day to hear the word of God preached. Because our God showed his immutable justice and mercy on the cross. 